0: That you're going to be encouraged um, on what the Lord has done with me and in my life, and uh, basically I'll I'll tell you what's happened with me from birth to how we got to this point now, and everything in between that that has that, that pertains to that. So, uh, I was born on uh, January 31st, 1984, um, in a city called Kessen City in in the Philippines, and uh, grew up in a Catholic family, didn't know anything about uh, Christianity or church or um, anything related to evangelical Christianity. We um, This was a, a Spanish-influenced um, kind of Catholicism, so we prayed a lot to idols, prayed the rosary all the time. Um, we uh, Because my grandfather was um, raised as a Buddhist and that stayed in the family's influence, we had a Buddha statue in our house that... Uh, We were told to rub his stomach for good luck every day Um, and so I did that and and we offered up um, you know food to ancestors during death anniversaries and things like that Uh, but uh, and I didn't know what uh, a pastor was I didn't know uh, anything about the gospel and so anything related to saving grace I think was was alien to me, but uh, there was common grace. You know, God gives grace to even those who don't believe. Um, and to my family, the picture up there, by the way, um, that first picture is the hospital I was born at, Capital Medical Center. Um, I was born at 3.56 p.m. on January 31st. And that that is the mansion that my whole extended family, me included, um, grew up. We came from a wealthy family. And... Um, and part of God's common grace to, to me in, in my non-believing years was through my family, uh, specifically through my parents. Uh, my parents are not believers, but they are two of uh, two of the most wonderful parents that, um, that you could ask for. Uh, actually, till this day, um, I have not gotten into um, an argument with either of my parents uh, ever. Um, we've never yelled at each other. We've never called each other names. We, there was a little bit of history with me and my dad, but we'll get to that later. Um, uh, my father uh, taught me much about, uh, much about life. Uh, he and I had a good relationship growing up. And uh, my mother was one of the most sacrificial um, human beings that I know till this day. And uh, I was blessed with three siblings. I was the third of four. Um, and until this day, we also, I mean, I haven't gotten to a fight with any of them since, I think, 2004. It's been a long time. Um, we all like each other. Um, I'm seeing my sister today. I see her every Sunday uh, after church, and, uh, and that's just been our tradition. So I grew up with, um, in a close-knit family, we loved each other, good parents. Um, I memorized, because we grew up Catholic, I memorized the Our Father, the prayer, uh, in two languages. and, and English and Tagalog, and I remember thinking a lot in bed. Uh, I have no idea what this prayer means, but it has to mean something good, so I'll, I'll pray it anyway. Um, I'm waiting for the opportunity where I get to preach on it, and because I do finally know what it means. But so, uh, and then from 1986 to 1993, uh, my family moved back and forth from the Philippines to Hawaii. So that's that was my first exposure to to America. Um, why we moved back. And forth as frequently as we did, I have no idea. But that, as a kid growing up, uh, there was um, there was an awareness of who God was, because I'd remember looking out and you know uh, from my parents' room just across the mountain range and thinking God must be infinite because I, I can't imagine what's even past that. But God must be bigger than that, and that would scare me, right? Because I would think this this God is watching me every day. And then I would go to the bathroom that my brother and I shared, and there were mirrors across from each other. And I don't know if you've ever tried this, but if you look at your reflection, you see an infinite number of reflections because the mirror reflects what this mirror reflects, which that mirror reflects. And uh, I remember thinking, God is eternal um, because I'm getting this concept of eternity. Uh, Although I wasn't ever taught that, um, but I did, I did understand that truth and, and the fear of God in a, in a non-saving way. You know, the, the reality that there is a God who exists. There is one God um, who is eternal, who is powerful, and who has me in, you know, in the grip of his hands, I think was very real to me. And um, when I was in first grade, my uncle somehow got saved. Uh, I think it was through a family friend who heard the gospel at a Billy Graham crusade in the Philippines, and so I do have roots with Billy Graham, and uh, and that that was a big kind of shocker to the family. So all we were told as kids was, you're not allowed to talk to your uncle about his faith because it's it's divisive and it's wrong. Um, and so I actually remember when he would he would share the he would share uh, the gospel with my brother. We'd be at the dinner table. And I would actually cover my ears and look down and think, "Oh, this is this is bad. I, I can't hear this. I can't hear this." Um, shortly after my brother got saved, um, I was in uh, I was in first grade, and he was in fifth, sixth. No, he was in sixth. Some somewhere there. Uh, yeah, yes, yeah, he was in sixth grade. And I saw a change in him because every day we would come back from school and the very first thing he would do as a sixth grader was he would open up his Bible, go to the couch and read for about 30 minutes. And then he would, in because we shared a bedroom, he would open up the Bible and read from the Sermon of the Mount and he would just read it and explain it. Um, and he didn't know this. I told him this later, but but those were like daggers to me every single day because I knew exactly what he was saying. Um, and it was as if Jesus was right there talking and he would share about the the wide and the narrow gate, about if anyone strikes you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. And, and these things were, were just shocking to me. They were anti-paradigmatic, I guess, to how I had grown up. But I remember thinking, um, I am so afraid of... Um, the God and the Christ, who He's speaking about, because um, I'm I'm guilty uh, before Him. I just never said that, and at the same time, I you know, my mom later told me what your brother's saying is not true. Um, I love my mother; um, she uh, still means a lot to me till this day. Uh, but she did she did tell my brother never to talk to me about those things ever again. Because um, I remember it. Because I, I, I decided to. Where we were, at, I remember it clearly. We were at the hospital, and I told my sister. Um, you know, we're waiting for my grandma to get out of the hospital, and I told my sister, "Hey, I heard that you're not supposed to pray to Mary because the Bible says not to." That's what my brother told me. And then all of a sudden, you know, a couple minutes go by, and mom comes over and said, "Who told you that?" And I said, uh, my brother did. (laughs) Um, And she later told him not to talk to me about those things. And that's when I started covering my ears whenever I'd hear my uncle talk. Um, But then there was, you know, in in that mansion that I had showed you the picture of, we're all at this family dinner. My uncle lived um, on the second floor. He had a room there. And I wasn't supposed to ask him about his faith. Uh, I was in first grade, so I think I was eight years old. And I remember thinking, um, because he had retired up to the bedroom. We were all still eating dinner. and I, I sneaked out of the bed I sneaked out of the the dining room and went to his room and I remember thinking, i I'd like to ask him why he believes what he believes. And um, I did. So I went to his room. it was just me and him. Um, and he was on a couch about it felt like that distance away from me. And I asked him everything from why why don't you pray to Mary? Why don't you pray to the saints, why don't you pray the Rosary? And he would just keep saying, because the Bible says not to. And that was all he said. Um, And I even remember asking him, hey, is that certificate, is that an honor certificate from your college? And he goes, yeah, I got first honors, but that means nothing compared to what I have in Jesus Christ. And um, uh, he never told me, you need to believe this or you need to believe that. But I did walk away from that thinking, for whatever reason, for some reason, I think he's right. Um, and I think as much as I love my parents, I think my, my parents are wrong about the details of the faith. And uh, I didn't know how to reconcile that with how I was supposed to live with my parents. And so I continued doing everything that we did as, as kids in the Catholic upbringing. And, uh, but in my head, I knew that I think what my Christian uncle is saying is right. Um, I just won't say anything about it to anyone who I know. I'll just keep it to myself. Um, and maybe maybe I'll stop praying the Hail Mary when we have to do it in school. I'll just, I'll just keep silent. Or maybe I'll, I'll just ask God for forgiveness for doing it right after I do it. I don't know. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know how to live the faith out. It, and I didn't know anything about the Christian church either. Didn't meet my first pastor until I was in high school. And so we later, in 1993, uh, we moved to America for... Uh, for what was now the permanent move to America, I was nine years old, and uh, settled in Hawaii, um, which I think many of you know. And, and that was just—I don't know if you see a picture up there of—that uh, uh, was um, that was me as a kid. Um, uh, I was a uh, just happy, overweight but happy, happy kid. Um, just so you know, I in fifth grade. Um, I was my weight that I am now. Um, And that's the picture that you... uh, So my brother and I actually shared a bunk bed. He was in high school, I was in fifth grade, but he had to take the upper bunk because I exceeded the (laughs) the weight limit. (laughs) Um, But I had a wonderful childhood. I I loved my introversion. Um, I used to wonder why my brother and sister had friends. uh, And I would think, why would you do that? Um, You know, friends are for school, but... Your home life is your home life. And it was just me, my family. I loved my family, loved the place that I lived in. Uh, The pictures up there are actually the geographical regions where I lived. That was the golf course that I used to walk around all the time as an elementary school student. And I would just walk the dog and think, and think about everything. Um, I've always been a thinker and would do it by myself. Um, But that was also the golf course where one day my brother took me around that whole thing and shared... The whole gospel with me because he had maintained his salvation um, and continued to grow. Um, and eventually, during those years, he started going against our family's wishes. He started going to uh, to an evangelical church, um, which was I think Kalihi Union Church, while we continued to go to the Catholic church, which is up there as well. And um, and I, I I loved my childhood. Um, You know, uh, the the pictures, I think, are indicative of what I was like as a kid. I was always happy, but there was a growing sense of guilt um, in my heart where my brother would talk about what he would learn from the Bible. Uh, And we had the same Bible, except for a few, you know, extra books in there. The Catholic Bible had the same text, and I would think, I don't get it. Like, why is it that when he reads the Bible, he gets all these things out of it, and I'm reading the same words, and I'm not... I'm not seeing it. I mean, I see it intellectually, but I'm not seeing it. I don't have the love of God in my heart. And not only that, but we had um, a few housekeepers who had come with us from the Philippines to um, to Hawaii, who, um, I guess it was in my ignorance, um, uh, I treated with abuse, um, verbally and physically. Um, I've since asked for Their forgiveness. I found them on Facebook as an adult, and you know, thankfully they they didn't necessarily see it that way because of the culture. Um, But I I have asked for forgiveness since, and I remember one day my brother just telling me, "Hey, read read First Peter." I'm like, "What's First Peter?" He goes, "It's a book in the last part of the Bible." And I read it. And I remember thinking, none of these things are showing up in me. Cause talking about being harmonious, being submissive, being gentle. And I remember thinking, I was at the airport when I read it, and I just closed it and thought, this, this is not showing up in me. And so there was a day where I was in fourth grade, and I went to my room and just shut my room, and I was in tears. And I wrote a letter to, to God and asked Him not to send me to hell. That wasn't when I was saved, but there was this growing sense of, I'm guilty before this God who my brother keeps talking about. Um, and if I were to die right now, then I would go to hell and I don't know what to do about it. Um, I never told anybody that story. Um, and so I kept the letter in the back of this picture frame that was hanging so my parents wouldn't find it because um, you don't want to show that you <laughs> have those kind of struggles. And then, um, and so that was childhood in Hawaii, uh, which is what I still call home. And... Uh, um, in '97, um, and I had desired to live in Hawaii for. Actually, I didn't want to move to Hawaii at first. I wanted to stay in the Philippines with my friends. And my parents said that they were going to go on this. We were going to go on this family vacation, and so we did. I told all my friends I'll be back in, you know, in a couple months. And all of a sudden, we're at this fun factory in Hawaii. Kai And my mom just. I'm in the car with my sister, and she goes, "By the way, we're not going back." Um, I'm like, "What?" <laughs> And she says, we're here now. And I'm like, you could have told me this. What about the dogs at home and all that stuff? And uh, we had moved because my, my father was in a high-end business there that uh, there was just a lot going on where we had to actually walk around with bodyguards everywhere we went, including um, to the bathroom at a mall. So every time I, I do go back and visit, we have bodyguards walking with us everywhere. And um, they didn't want us growing up in that kind of a that kind of a lifestyle, so they moved us to... The United States my father stayed back um, in the Philippines but in 97 um, at the start of seventh grade uh, my parents divorced and and that was absolutely devastating to me Um, I was the closest one to my father uh, you know at that time and so he he talked to all the kids together um, talked to my older brother and sister together but he wanted to talk to me privately uh, about what was happening. And I remember it clearly. Um, we were all watching, uh, oddly enough it was a Ricky Lake show if you remember that, that talk show, and this Ricky Lake show was about um, people who had gotten together over the internet and they're meeting each other for the first time in person on the Ricky Lake show, and then you know all of a sudden my brother says, hey dad wants to talk to you. Um, and then I walked into the room and, uh, and then the rest of the siblings went out and he told me what was happening. And uh, and I was devastated. I completely broke down after that point. And uh, you know, I, I recently I kept this journal from '97. Um, and at this one shepherds conference, I told my wife, since I'm leaving, you get to read my journal. And she texted me and said, This is a page turner. All you talk about is dogs. Um, and, and like, is this, every time we see this dog, right? And she, oh, is that the dog you talked about in your journal? And I'm like, Yes, that's the same dog I talked about in the journal. But she said, There was a, there was a big change, um, in August of 97 with the tone of my writing. And that was when my parents divorced. And five days later, after the divorce, we moved. Um, my parents haven't spoken since. Uh, we moved. I moved with my mom and two sisters to um, Los Angeles. Uh, And so that's the Catholic school that I went to, actually. And we lived with my grandmother. And uh, I was devastated, and um, I was angry just about every day um, and stressed just about every day And um, because of what had happened. um, And up to this point, uh, I had never gotten into an argument with my father, um, but I told him, um, because of what happened that led up to the divorce, um, I told him, I never want to speak with you again. I sent him an email and then um, didn't speak to him for another nine years, uh, or at least didn't see him in person for nine years. And I'm not someone who's, who's subject to change when I say things. And so uh, when I do say things, they tend to be in stone, which can be a good or bad thing. And so... Uh, and I found out later from you know his wife, his now wife, that that was the only time she ever saw my father cry uh, was when he got the letter from me saying that I was no longer going to speak to him. And so from, uh, from 13 years old to 22, I didn't see my father. We lived with um, my grandmother who um, hated my father and therefore... Um, had some hatred towards me and, and the stress and the anger. You know, if you've ever been part of a divorced family and you know the kind of sentiments that one side can carry towards um, the perpetrator and, and the stress that that can sometimes induce. And, um, and a lot of that came out on me because I loved my dad. Um, I was close to him and because I looked like him. And um, even my siblings said there was a different, there was an element of anger and hatred that she had towards you that was unique. Um, and I i actually wrote this in a journal entry. I still have it. That I said, I was in seventh grade, I think, when I wrote it, eighth grade, and I said, I, I have a dream of the day that when I come home from school that I can concentrate on the good things in life and not the bad. And I have a dream that one day I'll only be punished for the things that I truly did wrong and that I can feel happiness. Um, I, that's an exact quote, because I found the journal entry yesterday when I was writing this. Um, hated life. Um, and I think that was the the first time in my heart where I experienced hatred um, towards my father and towards my grandmother and towards life. Um, and up to that point, this was hard for me because family had been my greatest treasure. Uh, I was that kid who... Um, When we'd be out in family outings, I would actually stand behind my whole family, watch them ahead of me, and and think, this is such a great family. And that whole picture just broke. And the only thing I knew how to do from there was to give myself to school. Um, I'm like, if life is not working out, um, if if I'm in constant hatred and constant stress at home, then the only place to succeed in is school. And up to that point, I I hadn't grown up. I mean, I, I made a joke about what my mom said growing up you know, uh, about me and my grades, but she was actually the opposite. She, she took her hand off completely in terms of me and my academics starting from fifth grade. So um, she didn't know what was going on with me in school because she purposely chose to leave me alone. Um, and she trusted me. And uh, But at this point I remember thinking the only thing I have is school. And so I gave myself to school. Um, we were in L.A. for three years, and then uh, finally we, my mom, my younger sister, and I uh, moved to uh, the next place we moved to, which was Las Vegas, which is where I went to high school, and which is why, uh, if you ever notice, uh, I have a 702 area code, which is from Nevada. So if you get a Las Vegas number calling you that's not a telemarketer, it's probably me. <laughs> um, but I, I moved there, and again, same thing. Um, the, uh, the only thing I knew I could do was to give myself to school because that's the only thing that could work out. And so, I mean, this was how ambitious I got. Um, in two years, the span of two years, um, junior and senior year, um, I took a total of 13 AP classes, um, six my junior year and seven my senior year. And um, that was against the uh, advice of my mom, because she was worried that I would kill myself, and against the advice of my teachers, who were worried that I couldn't handle it, but in my mind I was thinking, this is the only thing that I can use to have any kind of grounds of boasting for. And um, uh, and I went, I, you know, somehow got into the school, um, the school called the Meadow School, which was uh, a college prep, uh, rigorous academic school. Um, and even then I went beyond what was asked of us and uh, took that SAT thing three times because I kept wanting to improve my score. But th- that worked out in God's providence, which you'll see later on. But during that time, I started going to church on my own. You know What had been told to me about the gospel by my siblings, or by my brother and my uncle, stayed inside of my heart. And I remember thinking, maybe it's time to go to church. And so um, against... Uh, my mom's wish, I started going to church on my own, um, this church called Warm Springs Baptist Church, and um, claimed to be a believer, uh, joined their choir, um, joined uh, the small Bible study with that uncle who shared the gospel with me, was now living in Las Vegas, and uh, joined him and his wife and a couple other friends in this adult Bible study. I was too socially awkward to even try out for their youth group. Um, so my very first time in a youth group was as a youth pastor, which is so when kids say, I don't like going to youth group, I, I don't know what to tell them. Like i didn't, I, I didn't either. <laughs> uh, but um, that was also the year where, I mean, peer pressure, I don't know what it was. In middle school, I told myself, I, I never want to be like anyone else. So I, I never want to listen to pop music. I'll never, ever wear jeans. And I will never, ever get into sports or become an athlete, ever. Um, and and somehow that all that all changed. But peer pressure started to you know, catch up to me, and and towards the end of my junior year slash junior year was when I began to dabble a little bit with alcohol. Um, My language was as foul as it could be without cussing, because I I said I was a born-again Christian, therefore I didn't want to cuss. And I remember going to the senior trip um, to Cancun after we all graduated, and guess what 18-year-olds do at Cancun? Uh, And I came out one morning. I spent about a hundred bucks on alcohol that that week. But then I came out one evening, and was completely flushed in my face. Um, Had ran into a pole the night before, Um, and was talking to my friends. And they said, "Are you drunk?" And I said, "I am not drunk. I'm just buzzed because the Bible says I can't get drunk." Um, And because of that, my non-Christian friends started making this this connection, or they saw the lack of connection and. I had a Hindu friend, my best friend in high school, who said, you're not a Christian, are you? And I said, I am. I've told you that several times. I am. And I said, why do you ask? And he said, well, I don't know much about Christianity, but from what I can see, you're, you're pretty bad. Um, and uh, I had another friend who was a self-proclaimed atheist who said, why do you call yourself a Christian? You're going to go to hell anyway. And I said, what? He goes, you're a hypocrite. Um. And uh, said that in chem class, of all places, right? Um, but that that did stay with me because I do remember thinking there is a disconnect with what I'm doing with my life and um, and what I proclaim to be, and, uh, and and that struggle stayed, even though I was in that Bible study, I was in the choir, I was on the the praise worship team uh, as well. And, uh, and so I wanted to go to college in the East Coast. Uh, I didn't want to leave the Philippines, but we did. Didn't want to leave Hawaii, but we did. I wanted to go to college in the East Coast, but that didn't happen. Um, and I decided uh, this was, I guess, a foolish decision because there had been a college in Florida that had offered me a full ride. But I had told myself, if I get into UC San Diego, I'm going to go there. Um, and... Because my mom had had this hands-off approach, she didn't know what to tell me when I said I'm turning down this full this full offer and I'm going to go to this college where I have to not only pay tuition, but I have to pay out-of-state tuition and student loans. And so that's why I went to UCSD. Um, <laughs> but uh, the day before the first day of college there, so I put the picture up there because if you see that walkway um, on the top right, um, I had gone to this inner university large group meeting that Thursday evening. It was September twenty-fifth, two 2003, the day before my first day of class, and I'd prayed with a friend, a family friend who had gone to UCSD as well. And, and you know, I faked the prayer, right? At least I thought I. You know, we pray that we'd give our lives to God and our, our college education to God. And I'm walking up that—I call it the road to Damascus, but not really. But I'm walking up this hill, and I, I remember thinking the love of God is not in my heart. And I looked up to God and said, all these years, uh, I have not loved you. Um, and if I am not a Christian, and if I died right now, um, I would go to hell. But I believe in what Jesus did, because I remembered everything that was told to me through my uncle and my brother. I believe in what Jesus did on the cross to forgive me of my sins. And uh, um, and I, I believe that. and I believe I'm forgiven. Um, and I want to give my whole life to following you. And where the picture underneath that, where the kids are standing, um, we took that this past summer. Had them stand there because that was the exact spot where I repented and believed and became a believer. Um, and uh, and so that was that was in 2003, and that was when I was saved. Um, and I remained a part of um, you know uh, the fellowship that I was uh, a part of, where uh, the people were great. Um, because of the change in leadership, um, theologically it wasn't a strong it wasn't a strong um, Christian institution or organization on campus. And um, I wasn't I was going to this vineyard church every once in a while, went to this other big megachurch every once in a while, I wasn't plugged into the church and I didn't quite know what to do with um, my relationship with God up to that point. I mean, went to a bunch of Bible studies, but in the Bible studies, sound teaching wasn't actually happening. And um, it was kind of like just drinking chocolate milk over and over and over again. Um, and uh, started to struggle with uh, depression for whatever reason, and that was new to me. And um, the reason why I put that um, slide up from 2003 to 2006, this was early growth years and and my struggles in my the early part of my faith. Um, That picture on the left is actually a bridge that, uh, at UCSD, where, I don't know, if it's about maybe 30 feet deep, um, but that was a bridge that I tried to jump off from, or I was thinking about jumping off from, just in the heat of everything. And to the right was the hospital that um, my friends rushed me to that evening, and I was kept there overnight for depression um, to keep me stable. Uh, that was in December of 2004, and I remember going back um, thinking, I went back home to Las Vegas for Christmas break, and I do remember thinking, if something doesn't change um, in, in how my life is structured, um, whether it's church, fellowship, my Bible reading, something doesn't change, I might I might kill myself. And so, But I remember thinking, I don't have my whole support structure here with me because I'm here with my non-Christian family in Las Vegas. Um, and uh, that was also the time where I'd only seen my older brother who shared the faith with me cry two times. (laughs) One was that when we were kids and we got into a fight and I locked myself in my room and he felt so bad for me that my mom said, your brother's crying because he feels so bad for you. And the other was when um, he picked me up in my dorm room and I was just lying on the floor um, just in complete despondence. And uh, I walked into the kitchen later on and he was in He was in tears because he didn't know what to do. But I went back, and um, someone had recommended this book called Knowing God uh, by J.I. Packer. And I read the whole thing in about three days. Um, I was in college at that time, and that was when I realized. um, And then I started reading the Bible um, by myself and, and journaling about it and studying it. Read through Knowing God, and that's when a turning point came where I realized that there is this great God who all of life, including my life, exists for. Uh, I'm not here to try to just feed myself, but I exist for the glory of this God. And J.I. Packer just walked through one attribute of God after another. And I had never been exposed to any of that in in the fellowship that I was in. And I remember thinking, this is a God who is jealous. Um, This is a God who is wrathful and and hates my sin, and yet... um, has sent his son to pay the price for my sin because he wants me for himself and he adopted me um, for his glory. And and this whole concept of I exist for the glory of God uh, and for the good of people became implanted in my heart, um, even though I'd already repented and believed. And that was the start of growth. Um, I was on medication at that time, but then shortly after, without telling the psychiatrist, um, or the psychologist who I was seeing, who was supposed to be a Christian psychologist, would say things like this. We would be in the room, and he would say, Well, I've shut the door, so don't worry. Satan can't hear you. Just now tell us everything. Satan cannot hear you. And he said, There is a time in life to be selfish, and now is the time. Um, I remember thinking... Uh, this is a little bit off, but this is the guy who they recommended to me. Um, but I stopped seeing him. didn't tell him I would stop seeing him, but I stopped. Um, stopped taking the meds, cold turkey. And um, But I didn't know what to do for church, and so I was there again in my dorm room, all despondent and lying on the couch, depressed. And finally my roommate said, well, you're not going to do anything with your night anyway, so why don't you just come with me to Bible study? And it happened to be at a church pastored by a master seminary pastor and um, went to the Bible study and got involved in the church and because of that got exposed to good theology and good books and that's where the love of reading came from and my love of the Word, the Word of God came from and seeing what the Word was doing with my heart and with my life and the transforming effect of God's Word uh, became very evident To me, and I remember thinking, I can't believe this was I was deprived of this, like this actual teaching that's changing my life. Um, And I'm not a reader. I was I was tested low for reading comprehension back in uh, in high school, low and slow. Um, I was a math and science guy. I was a biology major in college, and then um, and this was in my last year of college, and uh, I remember thinking, um, if this is what God's word. And do to people, and there are many, many people out there who are struggling in the same way that I am, and, and there is a whole lost world, and I started thinking of the fact that I grew up in a non-Christian state, non-Christian um, country um, in Asia, and thinking, if this is what the condition is of, of people... Um, and sheep are being starved of God's Word and therefore they're not growing um, and they're not experiencing the power of the Spirit because the Word is being withheld from them, then I, I need to go do this full-time. Um, the only problem was, was that I had, number one, I had dreams of becoming a, a research biologist for the longest time. Um, and uh, I didn't want to have to give that up, number one, because that was a dream from when I was a kid. Um, and number two... Uh, Ministry just is not an esteemed position in the community that I was from. So when I even expressed the idea of going into full time ministry, I got everything from, hey, that's just a phase. You know, when you grow up, you'll realize that that's not realistic. To, um, you know, when you realize that you need to provide for your family and get an actual job, you know, um, you'll realize that you can't do that. To, one person actually said, "JR, you are so much smarter than that. Um, and uh, and then when I did decide that I wanted to go to seminary, my grandmother, who had told me two things when we moved in with her, she said, I'm just asking two things from you. One, don't ever get reconnected with your father. Two, don't ever become a Christian like your uncle did. Um, I ended up doing both. Um, and uh, And then on top of that, I heard all these horror stories about pastoral ministry, about what happens to pastors and the struggles they have to endure, which, by the way, have all come true um, for me. And I'm, oh, I'm still okay, you know. Uh, But I went home in December 2005 thinking, with a list of graduate schools that I had wanted to apply to, with the um, particular um, field of research that I was hoping I I would start studying, but then at the same time I was thinking, But shouldn't you consider going to seminary? Um, And so January 2006 comes, and I'm now at this Resolve conference. And that's when I, (laughs) it was kind of a dramatic moment. I went to the bathroom, and I looked at my hands. I'm thinking, God made these hands. They need to be used for the kingdom. Therefore, um, I'm going. (laughs) Uh, But the, the problem was, too, is that the church that I was at, I think I had a, a few suspicions. They were like, okay, the last time we talked to you, you were trying to jump off a bridge, and now you want to go to seminary. And so I said, I know, but I, I also haven't talked to you in between that time. So many of you don't know this, but I graduated in 2006. So I graduated in three years. Um, it wasn't because I was smart. It was because I was trying to get out. Um, I, was, I was very done with college by my third year. Um, and I, I remember thinking, I can get a low GPA. I don't care, but I need to get out um, and go to seminary. But then seminary took me on a probationary uh, condition. I wasn't allowed to take more than six classes because they weren't sure, right, if I was in the right condition for seminary. And I, I accepted that. And I mean, I, I knew it wasn't their fault. And so, um, over over the course of that year, they took me off the probation and, and let me go full time for three reasons. Number one, I really did get better. You know, I assured the you know our pastor that no. I'm not I'm not trying to jump off bridges anymore. I'm not depressed anymore. Number 2, um they heard me preach cuz part of the one of the assignments was that you have to preach a full-length sermon. Um and I, I so I preached the sermon and uh and they said how did you learn how to preach? And I said, "I don't know. Um I just I looked I looked at the Bible and talked to you about what it means." Um, they said, "Well, um that was good." Um <laughs> And then the last one was they, they saw my dedication because I actually didn't I went I started going to the master's seminary but I actually didn't move to LA I was commuting um, back and forth from San Diego to seminary so I'd have to get up at about two three o'clock in the morning um, and drive to school because if you leave any later than four you catch traffic and my first class was at seven thirty and so there was a day that I remember where I ended a, a college staff meeting. At 11 o'clock on Wednesday but I had a midterm the next day and so I went home and I told my friend I don't know what to do but I guess I just have to study and I studied from 11 to 2 and then at 2 o'clock he stayed up with me and then I said I'm gonna go take a shower and go leave and so he went to bed and I took a shower and I drove up to LA and took the midterm and came back and had a bunch of meetings I didn't go to bed till 10 o'clock that evening um, and drove back to San Diego that evening and they saw that, and they said, "Okay, I think I think you're okay." <laughs> and I remember watching that and um, that happened and think, "Well, this has to be the hand of God working through me because um, I hate, I hate driving till this day, um, and uh, I'm, I was never good at foreign languages, but I'm passing my classes, and uh, I hated public speaking, but I guess this thing is working out, and so maybe maybe the gift in this is there. The reason why I put a thing that LA Fitness logo on there is because. The only job I could get to support myself was as a trainer at a gym, which is why I have a personal training background. Um, uh, there, I mean, there's nothing here. It, it's a bunch of breadsticks here. But that was the only job I could get. I'm not a fitness guru. Um, I just needed to support myself. And then, uh, and, and then so the church actually hired me as an intern because they said, we've seen your growth. We'd love to take you on as an intern. And I remember thinking, well, this is great. I want to I take my time. and finally get to go to seminary full-time. And I'd like to be an intern for four years. That was my. And I don't. And some. And I think one of them asked me, well, when do you want to preach your first Sunday sermon? And I said, in about four years, when I'm ready. And then the next month, um, our youth pastor resigned. And uh, the other intern, who was a year ahead of me, uh, broke his back and was in LA. And so the pastor said, "Um, how would you like to be the youth pastor? And I said, "Um, no. I said, I'm not ready. And they said, well, you kind of have to because we need someone to fill the position. Um, And I I, I told them, I've never even, I've never, I I wasn't a Christian in my youth. I don't even know what a youth group looks like. Um, On top of that, the youth group is 90% girls. I don't know what to do with young girls. Um, But uh, so reluctantly, I said yes, and I I really struggled with it. Um, And then I walked into the first youth Sunday school Bible study, and um, uh, I remember seeing, you know, these the students, middle school and high school students, and and I remember thinking because they had been, the youth ministry hadn't been good up to that point, and um, and I remember thinking this is just not fair that kids are deprived of a ministry and are being deprived of God's Word. And you see their eyes, they want to learn, they want to grow, but they don't have the means to do it. And I remember thinking, I will drive back and forth to San Diego to bring them God's Word if that's what it means to give them a ministry. I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know what kind of games they play in youth group, but I will drive back and teach them the Bible and spend time with them because that's the only thing I know how to do is talk about the Bible and spend time with people. Um, And that's where... The, I think the pastoral heart was born, um, and uh, and then a month later they said you're going to preach your first Sunday sermon, uh, and I said I thought I told you that this was a four-year thing, but I did, and um, uh, oddly enough it was actually the sermon that uh, that Cliff had me preach when he lost his voice. I pulled it back up, and that's why I, was, I panicked when I got up here because I'm looking at the notes and I'm thinking, this is, this is really bad. <laughs> um, but I preached a sermon anyway. I was 24 years old, was single, and had no girlfriend, so life experience was that, that much. But I preached anyway, and then later that day at a members meeting, um, uh, the, one of the elders' wives, who was a mother, came up to me and said, um, who taught you how to preach? And I I said, I don't know. I mean, I don't know, Uh, because I hadn't taken expository preaching in seminary yet. And she said, well, um, what you said from the pulpit has stayed with me throughout the whole day, and it's been challenging me this whole day as to how to approach my kids. And I'm thinking, I don't know what to tell you, because I don't know anything about kids. But I do remember thinking, well, then that must have been the Holy Spirit taking God's Word and working it in somebody's heart, and so I'm having trouble because this whole commute thing is so difficult, um, but it seems like maybe the gift of preaching is there, and if, if, if you're gifted with preaching, and by the way, the other thing I really don't like, aside from socializing, is public speaking. Um, I hated every form of public speaking. Um... And for some reason, preaching was different. I don't know what it was. I mean, I, I'm, I'm I feel like throwing up right now, by the way, just sharing my testimony. But preaching was a different experience where I, I would look at the Word and look at people and, and have this conviction that what is in here needs to go out to the people out there because lives depend on it. Um, and then uh, later that year, and that was the birth of preaching for me. And, uh, and then here's me again, a, a month into being a youth pastor. I have no idea what I'm doing, at least I don't think. And then uh, one of the youth girls I noticed was after Bible study was in the bathroom for 30-something minutes, and she was pacing back and forth. And um, And she was kind of an eccentric girl. And uh, um, And I asked her youth leader um, what's going on with her. And she said, oh, I, I talked to her, nothing's going on. And I said, no, something's going on. And um, And so I asked her if I could meet with her in one of the classrooms with her youth leader. And we were talking, and I said... Is something going on, and she tried to avoid the subject. And I finally said, "Are you, are you cutting yourself?" Um, and she admitted that she was. And we worked through that. She later got baptized, and later ended up working in the youth group uh, as an adult. Um, and uh, and I remember thinking, because they asked me, "Well, how did you know that?" And I said, "I, I, I don't know. Um, it was just." I don't know, um, but maybe it's the gift of counseling. Whatever it was, but that's where the birth of okay, you need to pay attention to people and the condition of your flock was born. And uh, and all I knew, and so I would drive back and forth from LA to San Diego every uh, every week, uh, two or three times a week, and I didn't know what to do with the youth group except to open up the Bible and do it verse by verse, and and so I, I went through systematic theology, the attributes of God, for a whole year with them in Sunday school, and then I went through the Gospel of Luke with them on Fridays, and I think that was the birth of Bible exposition for me. And it was at the end of that year that uh, about five of the kids uh, made a profession for Christ and said it was through the whole attributes of God series that I realized um, that I need to be saved. And so... And then I remember looking at the staff and thinking, well, the kids are going to suffer if if the staff is not equipped to work with the kids, and so let's train the staff. And that's where the birth of leadership and equipping the saints came from. From 2006 to 2010, I was at that church as a youth pastor. And then something happened in between that time, which is the next slide. Um, That was uh, actually taken in 2008. That was a week before we started dating. Um, she had bought me this pink shirt, which I still have till this day. Uh, and we showed up to the banquet both wearing pink. And that's when people suspected, Is there something going on between you guys? And I said, No, 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 nothing's going on. And then the week later, we started dating. Um, uh, and, and I, I, I mean, w- when we would study together, because I was in seminary and she was, she was supposed to be off limits because she was two years older, or she is two years older than me, and she was in law school. Um, and I was afraid of older girls and, and lawyers. But um, but I would talk to her, and and then she would say things like, I, and I would pepper her with questions like, hey, what would you do if, like, would you ever church plant? And she was like, eh, if that's what God says, would you ever? And then she would pepper me with questions like, so what do you think about this? And and then um, she's mentioned something about Sarah Edwards, Jonathan Edwards' wife, and I remember thinking, wow, a woman who wants to be like Sarah Edwards, I think, This might be the one. And so uh, on May 25th, I sat her down. Uh, A bunch of us were at this group hangout at a Starbucks, and I said, hey, do you want to go to (laughs) the grocery store with me? Um, Because I had to buy toilet paper. (laughs) Uh, And she said, sure. And I said, well, she really is the one. Um, So I got the toilet paper. She hates that I bring the, the, the thing up, but it was the one with the golden retriever puppy on it, on the logo, whatever that one is. But I sat her down on this this umbrella chair afterwards, and then I said, so, this is exactly how the conversation went. I said, "Um, so, I noticed that we've been spending a lot of time together, and she, without saying a word, goes, "Mm mm-hmm. And I said, and I don't know about you, but I have started to like you more than a friend. Is it the same for you? And she goes, "Mm Mm-hmm. And then I said, I don't really want to stop spending time with you. Do you? And she goes, "Mm mm-mm. And I said, so would you like to date? And she goes, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm. And then I gave her a high five, and that was the birth of a... And then, that was on May 25th, and then uh, about a month later, we have our first month of dating, and I remember thinking... She, she is absolutely incredible. Um, and, and then I asked her, too, like, do you intend on dating for a long time? And she goes, Mm-mm. <laughs> Yes. And then she mentions somewhere in there that she would love to be a pastor's wife one day, and, and my bells are just ringing. And so about a month later, actually exactly a month later, June 25th, this is exactly how the conversation went. Um, we're, it's before a missions meeting, because we were scheduled to go on the same missions trip. And I I was sitting with her and I said, so it's been a month. Um, Have you been thinking about marriage at all? And she goes, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) mm-hmm. And I said, are you waiting for anything? Do you want to get to know me better? And she goes, "Mm mm-mm. She goes, in fact, I need you to figure out what you're going to do because I have to figure out housing for next year. Um, and I said, uh, and I said, but but most girls want to get to know a guy better. And she she said, Well, you know, this lady at our church who was discipling her, it's been they're in their fourteenth year of marriage, and it's only this year that she discovered that her husband's favorite dessert is cheesecake. So I have time to get to know you. I asked her about this yesterday, and she said I had to look past the surface <laughs> of of me. Um, because I had trolley haircut that I used a hair thinner for, because for some reason I thought that tire was supposed to cut your hair. Um, but uh, anyway, so on July 19th on a missions trip, um, I proposed, that was a month and a half later. Uh, so We dated for a month and a half. Uh, we got engaged, um, and there was heavy, heavy opposition from her parents towards me. Uh, mainly because, for several reasons, but a lot of it had to do with the fact that I was a minister. And I had known this was coming because of what my seminary classmates would share about their engagement stories. And so I knew it was coming. I wasn't surprised. But um, because of things that happened, um, both with her parents and with the church as well, um, our wedding actually got postponed 24 hours before it was supposed to happen. So we were supposed to be married on February 21st, 2008 or 2009, on February 20th, uh, uh, it got postponed. And so, um, but it's been 10 years uh, since then. We got married in August of 2009. Um, 2010, uh, we moved to the Bay Area and uh, because we prayed about going on this church plant. And so we moved to San Jose, started this college ministry with the church plant that we were a part of. And then um, the birth of these two cute little kids came. And um, And uh, that's how we got to San Jose, because our church wanted to plant a church in San Jose, and and we said we both want to do it, and so we came. Uh, And I didn't know, I providentially moved into a townhome owned by a GBF member. Um, And then uh, in 2013, uh, there was a fallout with that church, and um, we didn't know what to do at that point. Um, because I was actually a day away from being installed as the senior pastor of that church. And then um, and we kind of backflipped into GBF, and that's where we've been ever since. And then I was scrambling for a job, and the school contacted me, called Legacy Christian School. I didn't know they existed, and here's the reason why they contacted me. I, I had no teaching experience up to that point, but the school, the vice principal was from Las Vegas. And she saw my resume, and she said, I know the high school he went to. He has to know what he's doing. So that was in God's providence. And so, uh, and then I kept trying to leave GBF, and I kept trying to leave the school. I would keep telling Cliff, like, I don't want to be a member here. It's just temporary. I'm going to find something else. And I kept telling the school, I'm not meant to be a school teacher. I'm just here temporarily. And they all knew that, and they, they, they put up with that kind of nonsense for how long. And uh, I don't know how it happened, but I'm I'm here as a pastor and elder, and I'm the assistant principal of that school right now where... <laughs> Um, so, you know, uh, and I'll kind of end with this. Um, you know, my wife has been the bedrock of everything. Um, you know, she has, a. Uh, um, she's been, she was number one, many of you don't know this. She was the one who actually got me to do this doctorate program. Um, she's a lawyer when she makes her point, it's hard to argue with her. Um, and, uh, she, in 2010, which was a turning point for me when we first came up for the church plant, um, she noticed I was struggling with being timid in ministry. And she said, in um, a date night, she said, Look, I gave up everything to follow you. You cannot not know what you're doing. <laughs> um, you need to step it up and shepherd these people. Um, I cried. I told her, "You don't know what it's like." And but, um, and uh, she has never lost faith. Um, you know, in in us and um, our kids are great. Uh, my son, when I had a, I lost my temper once, and and I asked him for forgiveness, and he said, "I dad, I forgive you." And he goes, "You know that story from Genesis four with Cain and Abel?" He said, "Yeah, you reminded me of Cain." <laughs> But, um, and my daughter is just, uh, she asked me if I could pick her husband for her, um, and I said I would. So, all, all, <laughs> all this to say, you know, it's a short devotional, um, Proverbs 69 says that uh, the mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps, and where I am now was, was nothing planned, even though I am a type A planner, um, I love Excel, because I love planning, but uh, y- Living in wisdom means you can't, you can't try to orchestrate your whole life and expect it to turn out that way because God's sovereignty trumps human desires. At the same time, uh, Proverbs 16.3 says, you commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. And so I've seen, you know, I would write down these prayer requests for future endeavors once a week and pray through them. And over the last five or year, er, five years, I've seen so many of them actually happen. Um, even though I had forgotten about the prayer request because you just kind of live day to day. And so walking in wisdom means you have to submit to the sovereignty of God in all of life, and you can't take control of life. But at the same time, if you commit everything that you're doing to the Lord and His work, um, He will establish your plans. And so I I hope my testimony in some way testifies to that, and, and that's what I have to share. So.
1: And we'll go ahead and take a couple of questions. Jr. was afraid he wouldn't have enough to say and that too much time would be left over. And lo and behold, we got two minutes for questions. Take it away. Raise your hand if you have a question. Members. I have one while we're waiting for others to raise their hand. Jr. these are yes or no questions, they're easy. Just to get to know you better. Yes or no, were you ever a figure skater? Yes. Were you ever a soloist? As a... Singing? Yes. Okay, one more. Is your waistline smaller today than it was when you were in middle school?
0: Well, it's a 29 now and middle school was a 36, and so, uh,
1: yes. One more. What's the uh, greatest number of miles you've run in one... One stint of running.
0: Um, 15, and here's why. Uh, We were at Carmel, and I spent the whole week eating, um, and I felt bad when we got back home, and so I said I need to burn everything off, and I just didn't stop. And I broke my foot afterwards, but that was okay. (laughs) A Couple years back, so 15.
1: Anybody else got some questions for JR? Paige Burgess here today, she has the gift of questions. (laughs) Oh, there's Paige. I knew it. She's got one. Oh, do you? Yeah, Paige, asked oh. a question. Oh, I thought you were raising your hand. Oh, you were raising your hand that you're here today. Okay. That's all right. You don't have to ask a question, Paige, but you have the gift. JR, how much counseling do you do? How much of your job is counseling?
0: Um, Quite a bit, because... Uh, that that's one of my areas here and then at the school where I serve as the assistant principal um, one of my duties is actually as the school counselor so um, a lot I feel like I'm talking to people all day long Um, so
1: yeah counseling uh, is a gift in first Corinthians 12 some people think they're counselors but they're not they're lousy Uh, but early on Jr. has been here five years at our church serving and early on, I discovered that JR had the oh. gift of counseling, and we've been utilizing him full time as a biblical counselor ever since. It's been a blessing. We've got another one over there by Addison. Hey,
0: JR. Uh, uh, how, how did you propose to Kathy? And is there
1: any funny stories about that? Or? Yeah,
0: actually, uh, I'll make this one quick. But we were in Argentina, and I had told the translator to write down these Bible verses. Her translator, to write down these Bible verses throughout the week for her in Spanish, and they were all related to marriage. And then on the very last day when I had planned to propose, I told him, can you write down Genesis 2.25, which was, I thought, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And then he came back to me and said, are you sure you want me to share this verse? And I said, why? And he said, because you said Genesis 2.25. And I said, what does that say? And he said, uh, the man and the woman were before each other naked and unashamed. <laughs> uh, and I said, I think, <laughs> uh, previous, previous one, I didn't have a ring. So we're driving up to this, uh, this mountain area to have this fun day at the park. And I noticed she was wearing a bracelet. And I said, who gave you that bracelet? Um, and she said, oh, one of the kids did. And I said, can I have it? And she said, sure. Um, and then uh, I, uh, I walked her through this one area where there were actually horses there. Uh, and horse poop at the same time and then uh, told her why she was so great and she was just looking at me and, uh, and I said, uh, I got down on my knees and said, uh, will you marry me? And she said, yes, and I said, thank you. <laughs> uh, and then that's how it happened. So. Um,
1: so I have a question. Um, so you're not an extrovert, and you talk to people a lot. So, how do you? What do you do when you're not talking to people?
0: Um, uh, if you ask the wife, she'll say when she's about to go to sleep, she hears either tennis balls being hit or she hears dolphins, because that's what I'm watching on YouTube. Uh, uh, I love I love sports. Um, I love uh, I love animals, and I love uh, reading and studying about both of them. So. Um, sometimes when the kids come into my classroom, they'll say, can, can I eat lunch here? And I'll say, just don't talk to me because I'm on my quiet time right now. <laughs> so I'll put my earphones on and they'll just sit there uh, as I, yeah. Um.
1: That's it. Thank you, JR. Let's hear for JR. And uh, JR, do you want to go ahead and close us in prayer? Yeah. And then we'll be dismissed. Thanks.
0: Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray or we pray and thank you for how you've worked in all of our lives uh, to bring us to this point where uh, we're your servants and your soldiers, and we continue to pray for your providential wisdom in directing us and leading us and, uh, um, for the sake of the kingdom and for the good of the church. We pray for this coming uh, Sunday service in uh, just a few moments that we would give you the glory that you deserve uh, and that Christ would be exalted in all that we do. And it's in his name we pray.